inside my DNA. They clear out for Merrill. Tied at 56. Merrill for the lead. He's got it! Oh my goodness. Coming. Long. Blown coverage. Blown coverage. Touchdown, Utah State. Walking in is Aaron Vaughn. Blown coverage. 43 seconds left. Utah State back in front. What's up, Aggies, and welcome to The Breakdown, another week, another podcast, and this week, because of all the COVID restrictions here in Utah, I am actually recording this from my home, so the mic is a little bit different than what you guys might be used to. I apologize if it's too loud. We will try and fix that, Uh, but for the most part, this should work, so let's hope that it does, and uh, I promise to still keep you guys informed and up to date on everything Aggies everything Aggie sports, and so hopefully we can get this working for you guys. So if you've tuned in to last week's game or really any day since, you would know that a lot has gone on in Aggie Nation since last week's game, last week's loss to the Nevada Wolfpack. So Utah State is now 0-3. We went to Nevada to play the Wolfpack, and we came out pretty wounded. Um, We scored nine points all in the first quarter. It looked great at the very beginning. We had a safety. The defense was doing good. They're getting stops. And this is against the Nevada Wolfpack offense that is actually pretty prolific. They are quite impressive when you look at all the numbers and everything that they've been able to get done. So we knew it was going to be a battle. We knew that it would it would kind of have to be a shootout, which is not good for us because we haven't been able to score points this year. It's been our defect. And so we came out strong. We had a safety. We stopped him on a couple fourth downs, and it, it looked good. It felt good to be an Aggie. Uh, really excited. At the end of that first quarter, it was 9-7. to seven. The only touchdown we gave up was kind of on a Hail Mary-type throw, uh, but it was a precursor of what was going to happen for the rest of the game. Um, our offense did a great job of driving the ball down right in the first quarter. I think most of our yards actually came on that drive. Uh, Jason Shelley did a fantastic job of putting the ball in the receiver's hands and letting them make plays, but then also putting it in his own hands and and, uh, taking it into his own hands and and running for good yardage. And and so he did good on that drive, and and Utah State came down, went up 9-0, and it was pretty impressive. The announcers were talking about how this might be kind of a trap game for Nevada and how Utah State could pull away. However, um, that was not the case. Uh, so we did go on to lose, well, to, let's see. So Nevada did go on to score the next 34 unanswered points in this ball game, and that was it. Our goose was cooked. So obviously lots of problems, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about the game here, but obviously bigger news um, coming after the game and in the days after the game. So Nevada had a 542 total yards, 421 of those were passing yards, and probably the majority of that were to their star receiver, Romeo Dubs. That guy is a baller. He is quick, he is fast, he's athletic, um, and he makes plays. And uh, so he's good. Good job for Nevada for recruiting him and getting him. Um, 
they just threw it downfield on like half their plays. Their quarterback wasn't even super accurate. Uh, however, he found Romeo Dubs when he needed to, and, and they connected for touchdowns. So he had three touchdowns on the night on three of actually pretty similar plays where they would just run him out straight and then across the middle of the field, and he would he was just too fast for any of our defensive backs to keep up with him, which was extremely frustrating because I don't know why we don't just drop a safety and, and have him kind of double covered. I, I, I understand that they might beat us with somebody else and they might, you know, move the ball in a different direction, but at least don't let the same guy beat us three times in a row. I guess that's why I was most frustrated about this game was just our coaching um, failure to make adjustments in game. It seemed like we went in at halftime and once again, we came out just, just flat, just couldn't do anything. And so it's very frustrating, very difficult to watch as an Aggie. Uh, Jason Shelley, he, you know, he was decent. I thought he was making some decent throws. Uh, he did not have much time all night in the pocket. So that was very difficult. We saw him running around a lot. And uh, at, at the end of all of his running, he's trying to force a throw and doesn't make a good pass. And so it's tough. I'm, I'm not giving him excuses. We've seen Jason Shelley. We've seen him be a little inaccurate with his passes. We've also seen him be able to to make passes. And and so just kind of frustrating. I think the, co- the coaching staff in the third quarter, they did put in Andrew Peasley just a little bit on a couple drives, which I talked about last week is, is sort of frustrating. I think at this point we know who the better quarterback is. We know who can move the ball better, or at least we should. And if it's Jason Shelley, he should be playing all downs. Um, use these games as practice. You know, he needs as much as many reps as possible. And I feel like putting Peasley in, the only thing it's doing is taking away confidence from Jason Shelley, which uh, I would like him to have more of. And so, yeah, it's frustrating. It's it's once again a frustrating week to be an Aggie. Uh, we, we, we kind of knew that we, we would go into something like this, but just to show you some more of our problems, I mean, we are three of 15 on third down efficiency. That is just terrible. We, we had the ball for third on third down 15 times and only converted three of them. So call that what you will, call that a lack of, you know, good coaching and, and play calls, call it a lack of players making plays. I'll call it a lack of the whole team just not doing good and, and kind of sucking. You know, I understand that maybe our offensive coordinator isn't calling the great great plays, but at the same time, players make plays. Coaches don't. And so if you're a player on that team, you got to step up. you got to make the plays. We talked about that last week. So that is also very frustrating. Um, they obviously had the ball a lot more than we did. We punted the ball 10 times to their three. They were four of five on fourth down Ethan. Efficiency, and I think you're going to see this a lot more. Uh, people playing the Aggies is that our offense is actually so bad that it is worth it to just go for it on fourth down, because even if you give the ball up, there's a high percentage chance we're not going to be able to move it down in scoring position. And so we saw that a little bit against San Diego State, and now we're seeing it more against Nevada that they went for it on fourth down five times. Uh, they were six of sixteen on third down, so not not super good. But at the same time, they they did uh, go for it a lot on fourth down as well. So, I mean, they converted and and we didn't. So props to Nevada. Best of luck to them this season. I love seeing um, teams other than Boise State and San Diego State do well. Uh, but yeah, it it sucks. So <laughs> let's let's get past the game and let's look into the future 
of what's going on right now in Aggie sports. So if you didn't know, um, it's not really breaking news any longer, but Coach Gary Anderson has stepped down or been fired as the head football coach of the Utah State football team. I say fired or stepped down because uh, after listening to press conferences of Hartwell and Frank Male and a couple other uh, people, it's still kind of speculation as to what happened. It sounds like Gary and Coach, sorry, Coach Gary Anderson and John Hartwell kind of had a agreement, or they both kind of knew where the program was, truthfully. And it sounds like they both knew that it was the right direction for the football team to kind of step away from Coach Anderson. However, I am surprised that we did it mid-season. I think that is, uh, it's kind of, kind of weird. You know, I understand our season's a dumpster fire right now, but at the same time, maybe there's things that we can, you know, take from it. And maybe this is what we're taking from it because Frank Male is now the interim head coach. And so we're going to see something else. We're going to see some new things, hopefully. And uh, it's kind of make or break for Coach Male as well as he gets this chance to finish out the season. I think it'll all be taken with a grain of salt because we know where we're at right now and we know how hard it would be to take over a team in the middle of a season. However, he's going to be a, you know, a head coaching candidate here pretty soon, and, and he's got to build his resume. So uh, like I said, Frank Molly is the new interim head coach. He was our assistant head coach and defensive coordinator. So now he will be the head coach, and it's something that he wants. He's talked about it before. So we will get into that in just a second. But first, as a lifelong Aggie fan, I just wanted to say thank you, Coach Anderson. Um, I'm very sad that it was not able to work out this second time because Coach Anderson was actually one of my heroes growing up. Um, I have like a miniature signed Utah State helmet by Coach Anderson here in my home. And uh, I always looked up to that thing as a kid. And I'll always cherish that because what Coach Anderson did to the Utah State football program was was amazing. It, it did a total 180 from where we were and where we had been for years. And he took us into the national spotlight. He made it so that Utah State football um, was able to go to bowl games and, and win bowl games and compete. We were able to compete for the Mountain West. Uh, we were able to get ranked. And all these things help into building uh, a better program. Because of him and because of his success, we were able to get more money, more more don you know boosters and donations, and we're able to build sports complexes, and we're able to put bleachers in the uh, in the spec. Sorry, not in the spectrum in, in Maverick Stadium, then Romney Stadium, and it's just it's it's pretty amazing to see the impact that Coach Anderson had. Besides just a couple really good winning seasons on this football program, uh, Coach Anderson will always be remembered, and I hope. That if you are an, a new Aggie football fan or student, that you don't look at him under such a harsh eye as this guy sucks, this guy's you know never had anything because it's not true. He was he was fantastic the first time around. Um, I'm not giving him excuses for the second time. I d I just wanted to say thank you to Coach Anderson. I know that he's done a, a great job here at Utah State that first stint, and version 2.0 of Gary Anderson just wasn't the same. And we just weren't able to get get it done, whether that be for one reason or another, it, it didn't happen. So it is sad that Coach Anderson is no longer the head coach of Utah State football, but I think all the fans kind of expected it and made sense. A lot of people were worried about Coach Anderson's buyout, um, but the only news we have on that is that it worked out best for both the university and Coach Anderson. So I don't understand how that 
you know, all went down or, or even make sense, but I guess it worked out well for the university and coach Anderson. So that's a, that's a good thing to note. I, I never really thought that coach Anderson was like here for a money grab. And so I don't, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't take his whole buyout or if we found another way to get him his buyout. But Coach Anderson, we salute you. We love you. And uh, hope everything is going well with you and your family uh, in, in these COVID times. But then also, you know, as you're looking for your next job or retirement, whatever it, that might be. So thank you, Coach Anderson. And uh, it's time to move on. Aggie Nation loves you. And we are so thankful for what you've done for this program. Um. So it's kind of weird. Once again, Gary stepped down in the middle of a season. I think they both knew, but I think more than anything, this is just kind of a, a chance for, for Coach Male to to take over the reins. I think they, they're very interested in him as a head coach candidate, and they want to see what he could do in these weeks ahead. Um, I like Coach Male. I think he's he's there's a lot of good things about him, and he's actually the... Uh, the number two on my list for the next head coaching candidates. So I want to get into that. I want to kind of get into these head coaching candidates, um, just some names to be aware of. I, I would I would be very surprised if we selected one in this season. I bet it comes after this season that that happens. Um, Hartwell has said that he's he wants to re- reach out nationally and find somebody. Um, he's willing to you know look wherever that might be. So I've prepared three names, uh, local guys, that you might be hearing as the, as the coach conversation continues. And uh, after them, I, I kind of want to do a fun thing where I build my dream coach for the Utah State program. So I look into who's the best recruiting coach, offensive, defensive, all that stuff. And obviously, I'm not just going to say, you know, Urban Meyer, Nick Saban. I, I'm, I'm going to bring up guys that, that you should know um, and should be on your radar so yeah, let's get into this. Um, the first head coach candidate that I believe and is actually my kind of favorite, I think if we could pull this off, I would really, really like it. I think you'd have a great chance is Jay Hill. So Jay Hill, if you didn't know, is Weber State football's current head coach. And he was an assistant head coach at the University of Utah for quite some time. Um He's actually gotten Weber State to the FCS playoffs each of the last four years. And uh, so so Weber State hasn't started their season yet. However, they will by the time our season's over. And so I am worried that timing just won't be right. But at the same time, you know, if this is a right fit for Jay Hill, if he, if he does want this head coaching position at a, at a step above an FCS school, uh, I'm pretty sure that he would take it. So Jay Hill is... He's a fantastic leader, um, good recruiter, and he does, you know, he does the most with what he has. Obviously, Weber State and FCS school, but he's got them to that playoffs four years in a row now, and that is continued success. We we see that it takes coaches time to to get the program where they need it to be, and it took Jay Hill just a little bit of time, and and now he's got it to where he wants it to be, and that thing is rocking. So congrats to Weber State and their success. Congrats to Jay Hill. Um, he is somebody that I think if Utah State could get, a lot of fans would be very happy. Uh, the number two on my list is Frank Male. Um, so he is our assistant head coach at the moment. I, I love his passion. I love his poise. I think he is a, a player's coach, but also a responsibility type coach. I think he's very disciplined and holds his team to a high standard. He did great for us. Um, if you did not know, he actually coached in the bowl game 
uh, when Matt Wells and his staff stepped down, and he did a great job in the bowl game. Uh, Frank Molly's been with us for a few years now. He's he's a great guy uh, from everything that I've heard, at least. And so I could definitely see Utah State going in the direction of Frank Molly as well, being, you know, having it be that he does know the program very well. He's been here for a few years and he is a good coach. Uh, like I said, he's very passionate and he's a vocal leader. And I think that's something that we we kind of miss. Uh, it's something that we got with Gary version one and with Matt Wells that we haven't gotten with Gary version two. It's also something you see with uh, Coach Craig Smith. He is not afraid to to run his mouth and to you know to to show to have passion and to show it and to be a vocal leader. I think that's very important. And so Frank Molly is a little bit more of a vocal leader than than Coach Anderson Anderson version 2.0, as far as I know. So I would look look forward to that. However, at the same time, um, you know he's never had complete control of the football team, but he has been on the football team and the football team hasn't been too good in, 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 you know, in the recent past. So we'll see what that goes with Frank Male. And then number three, another one to look for is Morgan Scally or Scaly. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He is Utah's defensive coordinator. Um, he's actually, well, he was considered the next up as a head coach after Kyle Whittingham. However, Whittingham just signed a new contract with Utah. So I would imagine he is, on the market to take a head coaching job, uh, Morgan Scally, and I think that he would. Uh, I think that he would jump at the bit to try and be a, a head coach here at Utah State. He has had some problems and, and issues of the past with his social media that he's had to come out and apologize for. But other than that, I mean, everybody thought this guy he was the dude. You know, he was the guy in in Utah after uh, Kyle Whittingham left. So obviously Kyle Whittingham never left and he won't leave for a few more years. So I think Morgan Scally is, is on the board. So those, those are three names. I just think that I wanted to throw out there that you guys should be aware of, um, you know, talking to your friends, if you know, now you can chime in and kind of give your little bit on each of them. Uh, but yeah, obviously Utah state is in a tough position right now. We, we, we need that guy. We need somebody that's going to come in and, and rock this program and I don't think you're going to do it with a quiet leader. I think it's got to be a vocal leader. It's got to be somebody that that isn't afraid to get a technical, you know, and show the team that he cares, that gets gets pissed off and fiery. I think as a fan, I love seeing that. You know, I've, I haven't been on the player side too much, and so I don't know how much I'd react to that as a player, but I, I, I love it. I think it just shows energy and excitement and passion, and it's something that, that I think we've lacked as a football team in general for a few years now. Um, I love Jordan Love. I think he's an amazing kid, great athlete. But as a fan, once again, from a fan's point of view, when I saw him on the sideline, it didn't seem like he was talking too much to the other players, you know, so kind of a quiet leader. He might be in the locker room. I don't know that, you know, that could very well be the case. But from a fan's perspective, that's kind of how he was. And it's kind of what we I'm seeing right now on the team. I'm, I'm not seeing that guy step up and be a vocal leader. So I think Aggie football is long past due for that person. And hopefully this next head coach will do that. So now I kind of want to go in and build my dream coach for Utah State. Now, obviously, I, I would just say Nick Saban, you know, Urban Meyer. Those guys are legends and they'll go in the Hall of Fame and they're, they're amazing coaches. But I wanted to kind of use attributes of maybe more local coaches that you guys might know that I really appreciate. And I wanted to start off with the recruiting ability of uh, Brian Harson at, at Boise State University. So he's a great head coach. 
you know, there's a lot of attributes that I could take from that I would I would like to take from him. I, I love his offensive style. I love all of that. However, I, I love his recruiting. He is just able to get people to Boise, Idaho. Uh, nothing against Boise. My wife's from Boise, but you know, it's no LA and uh, it's no New York. And, and he's out here competing with those schools uh, on a year to year basis. Boise State just gets it done. And they are so consistent at, at winning the Mountain West, at being at the top of the Mountain West. And I, I truly do believe it's because the players that they recruit are awesome. They are high caliber players. I mean, I watch the recruiting rankings every year and, and the rankings are kind of iffy. I mean, Bobby Wagner, who's going to be a legendary Hall of Fame linebacker, he was rated very low coming into school and, uh, you know, Coach Anderson got him and developed him into a linebacker, and and now we all know where he is. So obviously, rankings have to be taken with a grain of salt. But Boise State consistently comes in at the top, and they do a great job at getting guys there that that can make plays. And it's apparent. I mean, every year that we play them, they just have a new guy. I can't remember the stat, but they've had they haven't had a running back not rush for a thousand yards in a season for like four or five years. That's nuts. So they they know how to get these guys, and then they know how to use them. So I think if I if I was building my coach recruiting style, I would like Brian Harson, um, offensive coach, Coach Yost. So Coach Yost was actually the offensive coordinator here at Utah State under Matt Wells, and it's when that season happened that we all know the eleven and two, when Utah State's offense just went off. We led the nation in just about everything. Uh, we scored so many points per game. It was high flying. It was so fun to watch as a fan. Uh, there was rarely any close games because we would just blow teams out and get by them really fast right off the bat. And uh, I, I think a lot of his Coach Yo system, he's he's fantastic. He was a great offensive coordinator. And I think that, you know, I would love to have that back here in Utah State. Uh, defensively, and I'm going to go with passion here, is actually a surprise. Coach Anderson, uh, one version 1.0. So the first time that Coach Anderson was here, our defense got very good. Uh, we were ranked really high in the nation in takeaways. Uh, I remember we beat, I can't remember what rank they were, but we beat Utah here in Logan. That was fantastic. And and it came down to our defense stepping up and making plays. Um, I love how our defense played under Coach Anderson that first time. And the second part of this, passion I, I mean, if you guys got a, had a chance to watch Coach Anderson this his first time around, it was fun. He would get so mad and pissed off, and you could tell that he cared. And I remember talking to an ex-player of Coach Anderson's, and he said that Coach A had one way or die. You know, he was he was gonna work so hard that we win, or he's gonna die. That's just how Coach Anderson was. And I think for health reasons or for whatever it might be, Coach Anderson has had to change that that style of coaching. You know, it's not easy to keep up that style your whole career. However, Gary Anderson, the first time around, man, I loved it. I loved watching it. You know, when when a coach gets a technical or they get a penalty called on them because they're they're mouthing off to the ref, it just shows that they care and it just shows that they're upset. And and I, I love it. And that was definitely Coach Anderson the first time around. Uh, this next one is the coaching staff organizer. So this goes to Matt Wells, who was our coach before Gary Anderson. Matt Wells, you know, there's a lot to say about him and and his success because he has had great success. 
But I think the one thing that Matt Wells was just really good at was getting a coaching staff together. Uh, he brought in Yost. He brought in, oh, man, I'm forgetting. I can't remember his name, but before Yost, he did really good as an offensive coordinator. I think Matt Wells is really good at putting pieces together. And uh, I, I really, you know, like that about him. Obviously, Coach Anderson the second time wasn't super good at putting pieces together because we just can't put the whole puzzle together. And uh, so, yeah, I think if I had to go with that, I would say Matt Wells. And then the last two here, do what you can with what you have. Jay Hill at Weber State, once again, FCS school, but he is consistently competing for that for that championship. Um, he's he's great. He's fantastic. He's able to recruit under you know these larger schools, larger FBS schools, and he's able to to find diamonds in the rough and then and then work with them and and you know use player development to get them to a championship level. And then last but not least, in game coach, I would love to have Kyle Whittingham. Utah, man, they moved to the Pac-12, and everybody thought they were going to kind of be a flash in the pan, but Utah's been great uh, pretty much the whole time they've been in the Pac-12, and it's because it's Kyle Whittingham. He's a great recruiter, great players coach, but at the same time, you know, you don't see him lose too many games, and, and a lot of it, if you watch, is because of the adjustments that he makes in-game. He's a great in-game coach. He knows how to play the game. He knows how to change the tempo. He knows how to switch things up so that you know, ultimately Utah will have the best chance of winning. And so that is kind of my dream coach. Just some, just, you know, just some things I thought I'd throw out there. I'd be interested to hear from you guys as well. You know, what are some qualities from coaches that you know that you wish that we had in a head coach up here at Utah State? And also, if you have an idea of who our next head coach could or should be, let me know as well. I'd, uh, I'd love to talk about it. So as this podcast wraps down, um, I do look in a little bit into this next week's game. We are going to be playing Fresno State at home. So Fresno State is a good team. They are coming in at 2-1 and one with a couple good wins. Um, Vegas has them a 10-point favorite right now to beat us, which uh, you know would not be surprising the way that we have been playing. However, who knows? With the coaching change, with all that stuff going on, we'll see what we can do. Um, Obviously, I'm not even going to get into to yards per game and all that stuff because it's just not pretty right now. But, you know, Fresno State is a team that's also having a little bit of trouble putting the ball in the end zone. Um, but for the most part, they're doing good. I mean, there's not much to knock there. So we will see what the Aggies can do against this Fresno State team. It is in Logan, and there are no fans allowed since the new Utah mandate coming out. There are... No more games, or sorry, there's no more fans allowed at the game. And so try and watch it online. I believe it's on Fox Sports 2 this Saturday at 12.30 p.m. So stay tuned and watch the Aggies. Um, and we'll see what they can do. Hopefully we can get, you know, have a glimmer of hope and uh, we can see some adjustments made. So before I wrap up the podcast, I just wanted to get into... Um, something pretty cool, and this is about our basketball team, getting hyped for our basketball team. So the preseason Mountain West rankings came out. Utah State was picked to finish third in the Mountain West behind number one San Diego State and number two Boise State. And I'm kind of skeptical. I personally, and I have a couple friends on the team, I have a couple friends that I know that, that are playing, I, I think we're going to have a decent team this year, guys. I don't want to you know, knock on wood. 
Um, but I, I do think we're going to have a decent team this, this year. And I bet we play better than Boise State. Or we actually, I bet we finish with a better record than Boise State. Uh, there, Derek Alston was picked to finish the as the preseason player of the year. And I'm not buying it, to be honest. I think Derek Alston's a great player. I think he shoots way too much. I don't think he's physical enough to to hang. And so hopefully Utah State can capitalize that and other teams as well. But uh, let's get a Bean. Let's get a Justin Bean for player of the year, right? Or maybe a Nemius Keda, because Nemius Keda was just picked in the all-preseason, all-Mountain West first team. So congratulations, Nemius Keda. That's awesome. It's good to, to, you know, people are recognizing him and, you know, if you want something to look forward, Aggie fans, look forward to this basketball season. Uh, like I said, it's it's going to be a good one. Uh, Justin Bean is is a baller. We, you know, I I could just go through the list. The whole team are are ballers. But Nemius Keda, uh, last year when you saw Nemius Keda, I remember a lot of people saying, "Oh, he's not the same Keda." And I said, "Well, he's coming off a knee injury, you know." And so really, when he really felt healthy, was that Mountain West tournament, and that's when he was going off. Uh, he was just punking San Diego State's centers. They couldn't do anything on him. And he was just having his day on offense with them as well. So, ne- Nemius, I'm, I'm really excited to see what you have this year and uh, to see where we can go. So, Aggies, it's been a tough one. It's been a tough couple of weeks in the sports world. Um, I'm also a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and our team is garbage this year. So for me in general, sports is pretty difficult right now. So I hope that we can all try and stay positive, try and look with a positive eye. Uh, please keep watching the games, Aggies, and, and look for things. You know, look for things that you're seeing that we could that we could improve on, and, and let me know as well. I'd love to talk to you guys. I'd love to have more interaction. Uh, but for the Statesman, my name is Cole Noel. This is The Breakdown, and thank you very much for listening. Have a nice day.